Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Denderen shortly, but our former ITN journal turned pundit Derek Dyson is taking an Easter break. So we've gone right to the top shelf with a genuine super sub from the Guardian Football Weekly podcast and Stan's Champions League coverage, Max Rushton. But first up, after a disastrous Asian Cup campaign and an underwhelming tilt at a medal in the Tokyo Olympics, the Matildas returned to the pitch this past week against New Zealand's football ferns. There were some bright moments, but still plenty of cause for concern around how Tony Gustafsson is shaping the squad and their tactics a little over a year from the 2023 World Cup. So to dissect the current state of play and expectations from here, a genuine legend of the green and gold, Melissa Barbieri, will join us. Well, I'm after that with the latest in Matildas and Socceroos around the club scene. Then with Derek on the bench, as I mentioned off the top, the host of one of our favourite football podcasts, as well as Stan's Champions League coverage, Max Rushton, will join us to look at everything from the resurgence of his club Spurs under Antonio Conte, the Premier League title race, the FA Cup semi-finals. And of course, a huge week in Europe with the Champions and Europa Leagues, which he was all over, which will, of course, run over the entire back end of the show, including stoppage time. So Willem Edge will be joining us uh, after the break, but uh, a massive week, uh, the European football, just blockbuster matches all round. Uh, we, uh, we've we seen uh, the A-League start to take some shape, but you're going to talk to us about... Um, what we think will be a, like a real-time ladder as opposed to the current ladder, given all of the, the catch-up matches that we've got to go, but plenty to get through. Yeah, plenty to get through, Rob. Yeah, news too. We will uh, have a look at the A-League men's season. We've neglected it a little bit on the program, but with 26 matches to play, as you say, that ladder really is starting to take shape. And what a week it's been. I mean, that Man City-Liverpool clash was really the talk of the football world, and we get to go again in the FA Cup uh, semi-final this weekend. Champions League, Corinne Benzema, another, uh, another hat-trick, uh, and some extraordinary results in the Europa league uh, and just quietly seven in the net for Celtic they are looking dangerous with another couple of trophies on the table but let's start domestically Rob Sydney FC have been fined five thousand dollars and had their goal difference adjusted after they were found to have breached under 23 bench quotas in losses to Western United and Melbourne City those February fixtures have been deemed three nil losses with the Sky Blues as we know already on the brink of missing the finals for the first time since 2015-16 the APL have stated the breaches were reported by another club rather than their own match commissioner which led to a degree of leniency in their punishment. What do you think about that? I think a, uh, a punishment's a punishment, surely. It doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, how how does the league uh, allow leniency when their own official systems didn't pick it up? Uh, maybe they should be punishing themselves. Maybe it's a reflection on the league and its inability to to pick up the breach uh, that, uh, that perhaps suggested there was a little leg on their face as well. So, look, we're only a year into uh, the clubs managing uh, this... Uh, uh, this competition or these competitions, um, and uh, you know things will only improve. But but that sort of half-hearted, um, you know, uh, damp, uh, lettuce slap on the wrist is mm. is really you know it, it 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 doesn't look good for the competition, does it? 
So the rule and the parameter here is that if you're going to have seven on the bench in the A-League men's at the minute, three of those must be within the age bracket of uh, of under 23. I was also really disappointed in the APL in terms of the sort of journalistic reporting of this as well, Rob. Um, I've noticed they've changed uh, their initial piece, but this was reported by them, so it wasn't reported by an independent outlet. So it was effectively a press release sort of masquerading as a news story, if you like. And the initial headline was, Sydney FC have blamed a rival club sort of basically for getting caught rather than, you know, already on the front foot sort of playing the blame game. So there's a lot of bitterness and sort of angst in this country from non-New South Wales uh, states about where the sort of power balance in this country lies. And it's not really something we indulge too much in this show, but when things like this sort of happen, uh, it's not too hard to see why people sort of feel that way. And a quote from Sydney FC, this is just extraordinary. They've requested the APL strengthen its own processes so discrepancies are picked up earlier rather than by rival clubs. What do you make of that? Yeah, it's just embarrassing, really. It's uh, it's an insight into... I mean, th- these are professional clubs in a professional competition. I mean, we have an expectation that the, the organisation of the head office of the league is across its own rules and has officials appointed for match day to uh, identify these things. Now, look, we see around the world from time to time, and there, I can't recall off the top of my head where it was, but there was a recent match where there were 12 players uh, on the ground and, uh, and and that happened in the heat of the battle. But when you're planning your squad in, in the week leading up to a match, then you're entitled to know what the rules are and what the age range of the players are who you nominate. And if there are stipulations from the league, which everybody's agreed to, that there's got to be a certain uh, 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 setup of age ranges uh, on the bench in, t- in terms of the entire squad, then that's pretty easy to plan for. Good news, though, for the Matildas. They've boosted morale with a pair of wins over the football ferns in Townsville and Canberra. The first match was thoroughly dominated by the Matildas, but they trailed to an Anna Green cracker for the length of the game before Emily Van Egmond and Sam Kerr overturned the result. The following game was a little bit more comfortable as Kerr scored an early double and Hayley Rasso also found the net. Yeah, we'll talk to Melissa Barbieri um, after the break a little more about this when uh, Edge is with us. But uh, look, I, I don't exactly subscribe to the fact that it was... Uh, was the kind of news that that we'd hoped for. I mean, let's face it, we had anticipated and and were hoping uh, that the squad had uh, evolved to the point where there would be a, a genuine shot at a medal in Tokyo. That didn't happen. Uh, the the squad had uh, gone in to the Asian Cup as as raging hot favourites, and and that was one of the biggest catastrophic uh, um, exits in a club or in a world. Uh, a standard competition, I should say, uh, in in living memory. Uh, we now come home and play New Zealand, who are ranked well below Australia, and it takes 90 minutes for the team to get it together and and pull off a, a heist in in the latest minutes of extra time. You know, I mean, there, there's a lot more work to be done uh, if we're going to have uh, a, a proper World Cup campaign next year and uh, and aspire to uh, to making the you know the semi-finals, let alone winning the whole thing. Football Australia has been invited as one of eight nations to form an Asian Super League task force, exploring the possibility of club football reform in the region. FA Chairman Chris Nicko attended the committee meeting a fortnight ago where the idea was first tabled, although there appears really to be not that much else in the way of proposals or planning or any sort of formal uh, structure at this point. James Johnson's told the nine papers they'll take an open mind into discussions, which is being pushed by the AFC's commercial arm, Football Marketing Asia. Uh, An interesting story, Rob. Very early stages, as we said, but... 
from the the quotes of James Johnson, uh, it seems like Football Australia really just aren't going to say no to a chance to go and sit at sit at the top table of Asian football. Given we know that there is some um, some strain in the relationship, or maybe not a strain in the relationship, but Australia's maybe not considered uh, in such a positive light by particularly our. Um, Asian confederation friends in the Middle East. Uh, so, yeah, good for them to go over and get some business and to, to sit as one of the eight nations in Asia. Well, it'd be easy for us as Australians to observe this and think uh, perhaps uh, it, it was a good thing, but we obviously need to step back and, and contrast the Super League story that broke and, and had so much outrage around it, of which we were a part and were happy for it to end, and none of us believe that it's over. Uh, but... If you consider from the point of view of the mature leagues in in the Asian confederations, let's just look at the J and the K leagues respectively. Can you believe that after the work that they've both done, that they're going to be happy for immature leagues to suddenly um, push for a super league where some of their clubs clearly won't be involved uh, at the expense of... uh, of creating a mega competition. This just doesn't pass the pub test for me in light of what we've seen in Europe and and the, the region in, in which uh, we live. Uh, I think there's a lot more reporting to be done on this. And uh, and I reckon that we should get, um, you know, one of our, uh, our um, Asian game colleagues on soon to, to discuss it and dissect it a little bit more because I can't imagine those countries think this is a good idea. There's a few clubs who are having their moment in the sun. Villarreal, the Yellow Submarine, are the first of us. They've produced one of the great uh, boil overs, knocking out six-time winners by Munich, if you don't want, uh, if you don't mind, courtesy of a late goal to Samuel Chukwueze. And the upsets kept coming in the Europa League. Eintracht Frankfurt knocked out Barcelona after their uh, second leg went to extra time. Rangers overturned a first leg loss to Braga, 3-1 at Ibrox. And West Ham, who haven't won a trophy since the 1980 FA Cup, went to Lyon and put three in the onion bag. So, Rob, this is really as special as, as football gets. Yeah, and as we record this week a little late, we're, uh, we're doing the show on Friday morning. Uh, we don't always get the chance to look back at those Europa League matches. And with Max Rushton on this week, uh, um, we've just not long watched uh, those matches and in my case, listened to them on the radio, which I just love doing to hear the round the grounds coverage. I was flicking between BBC Sport and Talk Sport in London and uh, and the excitement, not just of the of the, the end of the games. I mean, Rages ended up uh, uh, winning that match against a nine-man sporting Braga who'd gone down to 10 men and equalised across the tie. Um, and it was Rangers who meant, who scored in, in extra time to, to get that result. So, you know, their fans calling in on the talkback lines afterwards. Of course, the West Ham fans just going absolutely bunter uh, against uh, Leon. And, and there was some uh, ordinary behaviour um, at, uh, at Leon after the match where uh, the, the fans um, uh, went to, um, to go, uh, well, at least... Uh, tried to invade the pitch um, and, you know, another uh, a shocking scene in French football. And then Eintracht Frankfurt uh, with our own Aiden Rustic coming off the bench, if you don't mind, uh, uh, winning. They were up 3-0 against Barcelona at one point at Camp Nou. So, uh, yeah, incredible, incredible scenes. So the Champions League semi-finals read as such. Man City will play Real Madrid and Liverpool play Villarreal. And Unai Emery, Rob, is a four-time Europa League winner now in the semi-finals of the Champions League. He's the European knockout master. Uh, and for a guy who was derided and mocked in, in England with Arsenal uh, as a guy who 
couldn't quite master the English language. I mean, he deserves a hell of a lot more respect uh, than he's got over the journey. And the Europa League, West Ham will play Eintracht Frankfurt. RB Leipzig will play uh, Rangers. Rangers, just a couple of wins away from a uh, from a European trophy as well. And in the Europa Conference League, unfortunately, it's all over for PSV Eindhoven. Uh, they've bombed out at the hands of Leicester City. It's also all over for Bodo Glimt, who were a great story that many were getting around. They knocked out Celtic a couple of rounds ago. Uh, they got put to the floor by Roma 4-0. So it's going to be Leicester and Roma and Feyenoord and Marseille. Uh, in the semi-finals of the Conference League. Let's have a look at Manchester United. Not going so well for them, but it appears they've locked up Eric Tanag, the Ajax manager, uh, to take over at the end of the season. Tanag's won the Eredivisie and Dutch Cup double twice and famously led that young side to the Champions League semis in 2019. And he could complete that double uh, for a third time by season's end. And what a job he's going to have, Rob, to really just get inside that dressing room, sort it out once and for all, get the gurney, get the uh, get the industrial cleaner and just scrub it out because it's just rotten to the core. I mean, Ralph Rangnick, we heard he was a genius, but without the uh, without the respect that comes with the permanent position, he hasn't been able to do anything. And another shocking 1-0 loss to Everton, uh, who, who did have it all to play for. Uh, this United side is, is broken. Oh, it absolutely is. And listening to some of the commentary during the week uh, when this story um, started to, to come together. I mean, we've heard Ten Hag's name uh, alongside uh, of um, of a few others. Uh, Pochettino, Maurizio Pochettino, of course, being the uh, the other main candidate. And the fact that uh, that he is a, an advocate of the pressing style, which is the vogue around the successful teams around the world. And uh, and so is Ralph Ragnick. Uh, and the players in that squad at the moment have made it clear that they're not prepared to, to uh, play to the coach's instructions, or at least they're not. Uh, well, they're surely capable of it, but they're just not doing it. Um, then, yes, as you say, they're going to have to get the um, the industrial strength uh, uh, sprayer out and just clean the joint out and, and get rid of some of those big names and, and, and at least give Ten Hag after the disaster uh, that has been Manchester United post the um, the uh, Sir Alex Ferguson years uh, uh, the opportunity to completely rebuild. And just a final one, uh, the World Cup playoff between Scotland and Ukraine. They have found a date for it. It's going to be on the 1st of June, uh, and the winner of that will play Wales just a couple of days later, Rob. So uh, one to look forward to there that will be played at uh, Hampton Park. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, that, that is good news. And in the past week where um, Ukrainian clubs have been back in action uh, in Poland, um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's at least a positive sign for the people of Ukraine and, and international football uh, that that uh, match is going to go ahead. All right, well and well done. Uh, okay, after the break, Melissa Barbieri is going to join us. Uh, you know, there are various views on how the Matildas series against New Zealand uh, played out, but you know, there's one thing for sure, there's a lot more work to be done ahead of the World Cup, which both Australia and New Zealand will be co-hosting next year. Stick around. That is next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box and uh, we led the show... Just referring to, to the campaign, the Matilda's campaign over New Zealand, the football ferns over the last couple of weeks has, has been a little underwhelming off the back of the, the Asian Cup campaign and the lack of success at, at the Olympics. And we really wanted to talk to somebody this week who would who would 
give us strong opinions and not toe the company line and just tell us exactly what she thought of uh, the current Matilda setup and how it's playing out and what we can expect going into 2023. And there was only one person sitting at the top of the list, and that is, uh, well, a genuine Matilda Lengen herself, 86 caps, Melissa Barbieri, and we welcome her to the show from uh, Easter Picnic. How are you, Melissa? Um, good, thank you. Is underwhelming a, a fair description, particularly after that first 90 minutes in Game 1? Yeah, and I think New Zealand were at their best. And, um, you know, I, I really thought that it was one of those things that, you know, they really came out firing and we were underwhelming. I mean, I think there was a little bit of lack respect, uh, a lack of respect in terms of um, how we were defending, even though the goal was a, a cross shot, as you call it. Um, just a lack of respect in terms of getting out to the ball and closing them down and putting any real pressure on it. Um, just left a bit wanting for me. And then, of course, the the old uh, saying of we can't finish in front of goals even with the best striker in the world um, is, is, is something that we always um, tend to say after these matches. And it, and it didn't really change um, from all the previous games. And then the only difference was in Canberra, New Zealand were underwhelmed. They, were, they had just lost their main... Um, engine room in Rio Percival with an ACL injury um, and and then Paige Satchel having to pass with her irregular heartbeat. So it was just uh, underwhelming for the New Zealand fans and, and the Kiwis themselves. They were, they were uh, pretty unhappy with the way they, they performed on that night. But as you say, it, it is underwhelming. It's, but the only thing I, I see is that he actually played the best 11, I feel, in the second game. The first game, not so much, but the second game, definitely. Um, he put on the first uh, starting 11 as, as the best 11 we have in, in my in my eyes, anyway. That's the takeout for me, Bubs, that um, it looks like he's now settling on his uh, top 12 or 13 outfielders. And um, he's obviously now going to use the remainder of the preparation, I would imagine, up to the World Cup to try and set that team. What did you think of um, Katrina Gorey's return um, and in particular playing in the defensive midfield role like she did across the two games? What did you think about, one, first of all, the remarkable story that is Minnie getting back to international football after the birth of her child, but then uh, secondly, um, playing in that defensive midfield role? Can you just reflect on those things for us, yeah? It's been such a journey for her. She's she's chosen to go out and... um you know, uh, start a family on her own as a single mum. That is tough uh, in its own right. She was, you know, she's not going to let anyone else impact the way that she wanted to live her life. And I think it's commendable uh, for her to to lose out on on Olympics, but to do something so much better and and having a child and and her little one just lights up the the room. And you know what, for me, it's such a proud moment that I've, I've seen the behind the scenes footage of the girls and the kids um, all in camp together. I mean, Tamika Yellop uh, didn't have her child, but her, her wife was there in, in the camp with her, with the bubba. Um, and it's just chalk and cheese from when I was, was there. And, you know, you, you had to fight for so many things when I was there. And then just to see it just change so much, it was really – it brought a little tear to my eye. I really felt like, wow, this is um, – you know, we're going places. This is what it should feel like. Uh, for women, you know, having children, and then of course, he put her in the in the six role. She's much better suited to the ten, but obviously she's been watching 
and she knows that we're missing a six. So if you want to cement your place in a starting 11, you do a six job really, really well. And she did that. She she came on. She wanted the ball. She attracted a lot of attention. Now she has to learn how to be a six under pressure because no team is going to watch uh, us after those two games and think, oh, this girl has nothing to worry about. She's going to be under pressure a lot. So now she's going to have to do more to be free. And then uh, uh, the other tens and eights are going to have to come in and, and help her um, do a job even in better I think her distribution is amazing. I think her ability to get the ball to Emily Van Egmond, who's making overlapping runs. But I still think Caitlin Ford needs to be on the field, but she needs to be central. Um, you know, even if you start in a sort of 10 position uh, in that sort of middle channel and then direct goals, Caitlin Ford is too far away from the goals, in, in my opinion. It's funny you say that's a great segue to my next question because it was about the selection of the 10. Obviously, when Minnie's playing six, it allows Van Egmont to play further. Obviously, I thought she was playing as an eight, but um, Mary Fowler was given a good opportunity in both games. We know Mary's a player of the future and we know that she's going to be a very, very significant uh, contributor to Matilda's going forward. But right here and now, is it better that she's in the 10 position or Caitlin Ford yes. or someone else? If we dabble in changing the formation, I think we could find something really good. I, I think he's, we've always been so set on... Four three three. Um, if we can find just a like, I don't mind Haley Rasso wide because she has this ability to come inside like she did for the goal, um, and she finds herself in the inside when she drives. She drives centrally towards the goal. Um, I'm finding uh, Caitlin Ford when she's out there, she's stuck out there and she's trying to whip balls in. Um, and not only she she does get the ball in for other people. But that means she is so far away from the goal that she cannot attract any attention. She can't get on the ball um, to, to make it. So when Van, Van Egmond um, is in that 10 position, she makes overlapping runs or, or forward runs um, into the 10. And when she picks it up in the 10, she can slot players through. I know New Zealand were um, hit by the Percival injury and uh, and they, were, they looked like, um, you know, they just were out a bit of steam in Canberra. Um, yeah. And but but I did think that first half uh, onslaught from the Matildas was impressive, and it's um, we do create chances, and uh, that that's not been a problem. Creating chances has no. not been a problem. It's been no. the finishing, and um, is it just a matter of persevering? Um, because we know the capabilities of uh, of Samantha. Um, is it just a matter of persevering and just um, just refining the approach and continue to train hard, or, or do we need a um, more of a significant intervention. The fact that Sam has so many players around her when she's trying to score goals, it really puts her off. Um, and if we have a little bit more help around her, it, it does attract attention, even if it's to her and for somebody else to pop up or for somebody to have the ball and then she becomes more free because that's what happens for her in Chelsea. She has more opportunities but less players around her to finish because other players are attracting, you know, defenders. They're engaging defenders. They're occupying people. So when it's Sam, she's literally got two or three players to beat every time. Like she can't finish sometimes in the easy situations because it's almost like surprising that she's free and, and in that position. But she has so much pressure on her. I still feel like uh, when she comes and plays for Australia, she's a captain. 
she's got everybody calling her name and it's so so different to when she plays for Chelsea. She's just another number in Chelsea. She's got so many um, other players around her that attract attention, even off the field. That you know, it creates that less less pressure cooker environment. I think we just need to back off her a little bit. I think. Now, I'm not going to let you go without saying congratulations to yourself on a wonderful A League season. Um, you. Uh uh, you're one of the best-performing goalkeepers in the competition, without a doubt. You got yourself super fit. You had a great season. Bit of a disappointing way to be shown the red ticket uh, in the second semi. I know that's weighing heavy on your heart, but I just wanted to um, make mention of that, Bubs, and uh, and and I hope you go round again. But just on the A-League women's competition, there's a lot of talk about um, the format for next year, whether there'll be um, the injection of... Uh, another team, or maybe two, um, as well as, or maybe not, and maybe an expansion to a full home and away season. So um, you, as a person who's lived through everything in the A-League women's competition, what would you prefer, Bubs? Would you prefer the expansion of teams or going to a full home and away round? They seem to be the two likely scenarios at the moment. Um, uh, we, we, we obviously still don't know, but what do you think is the next logical oh. step in evolution for the for the competition. I can't say that the competition is fair. It never has been when you play, you don't play a full home and around, uh, home and away. Like, if you ever weighed up the standings of every single team that has ever won or lost or whatever, every year, you would see that there had, has been teams that are at the top uh, of the league and they had played every bottom team twice. Yeah. And, the, the ones that were struggling had played all the top teams twice. There is no way that you can say that Sydney FC had exactly the same run as Melbourne Victory, Melbourne City or any other, other team in the top four because they stayed at home a majority of the season. <laughs> they, they played every Sydney team, which happened to be that all the Sydney teams were bottom four. Yep. Like you can't even say that uh, the Adelaide girls who got top goal scorer and second goal scorer is fair because they played Wellington who were getting battered every week, um, you know, five or six nil. So so for me, you can't even say that the competition is fair. And why does so many four-placed, um, you know, ladder getters actually win the whole thing by the end? It's because of that run, because they've played so many tough teams um, leading up to it that... You know, they hit their straps and, and they end up playing probably less uh, the, the teams that they're least um, uh, dominant uh, in the last part of the series. So there's no way you can say it's fair until everybody plays each other twice and then nobody can complain. Nobody can say, oh, but look at their run, look at this run. It's excuses, but still it's, they're valid. They're valid when, um, you know, Cindy FC didn't travel for 10 games away from Sydney. You know, they might have gone to West Sydney or, you know, Canberra, but they're not. Tra- that's not travelling. They had Perth in, in Sydney as well. It's just, it's, it's, it's un- you can't say it's fair. So it needs to be home and away and then expand because we, we already expanded um, and, and that didn't change anything. We thought that they go to home and away. It just needs to be home and away because then we can all say it's fair.
And we need these conversations, Melissa, as well, and, and senior people in the game like you who, uh, um, who who look at it from a you know a, a human point of view, the, the, you know the the individual players and how how their lives uh, and their as well as their careers uh, um, are, are cared for by the the people in power. Hey, Melissa, we could talk all day, but we do know that you're at your picnic for Easter for Good Friday, so you enjoy that. Um, thanks for coming on again, and um, and yeah, we hope to talk to you real soon as uh, as the, the the countdown continues to to the World Cup next year. I appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Okay, stick around. More next. Willem is back uh, talking more Socceroos and Matildas on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Great chat with Melissa Barbieri there. If there's one thing for sure with her, you... Uh, don't get any punches pulled and some strong opinions there. Hopefully uh, some of the lessons that the uh, entire squad and, and coaching team need to learn are, uh, are uh, going to be put in place in the coming 12 months. Okay, Willem, we have got a little bit more to go before uh, we have a chat with our good friend Max Rush and plenty going on in the Socceroos and Matildas world around the club scene. But you're also going to take a look at the A-League and where the ladder sets up right now and how it um, uh, it looks in a real-time point of view with uh, um, some assumptions made around the catch-up matches. Yep, so 26 matches to go. Some teams like uh, Melbourne City and Sydney FC, who, as we know, uh, are going to the Asian Champions League, only have a couple to go. Some teams have as many as six to play. So, yeah, I think there's nine sides still in the mix for uh, for the six, but we'll get to that after Socceroos and Matilda Central, which is, of course, for the Green and Gold Army. Packages are on sale now for FIFA's Intercontinental Playoffs in June, with two of the final three places for the World Cup to be determined in Dubai. Along with those three cutthroat clashes, packages include 11 nights in Doha, a twilight, uh, did I say Dubai? I meant Qatar, pardon me. Uh, a twilight desert safari, Suk Wakif guided tour, and a trip to the Banana Island Resort. Book your place today at ggatravel.com.au. Ange Postacoglu and Tom Rogic can take a big step towards another trophy this Sunday when they play Rangers in the Scottish Cup final. That match is going to be on uh, 11 o'clock Sunday evening, Australian Eastern time. Check your local guides elsewhere. So perfect viewing time on a Sunday evening. And they're in good touch, having put seven past St. Johnston last weekend. Jackson Irvine and St. Pauli ran up to their necks in the Bundesliga 2 promotion battle, but blew a chance to go top with a one-all draw with second-placed Werder Bremen last weekend. Jackson's been playing 90 minutes just about every week, and they, uh, this week, head to Alu Qual's Sandhausen on Saturday. Again, a very watchable time for Australian audiences there. And Kevin Musket's Yokohama F. Marinos start their Asian Champions League campaign on Saturday against Huang An Gialai of Vietnam. They're, of course, in the same group as Sydney FC. That group is being played in Vietnam uh, and in the league, the Marinos sit second uh, after a 3 0 win over Kashima last week. Okay, Rob, let's have a look at the A League. We'll call it the state of play. First on the ladder are Melbourne City, having played 24 for 46 points. They won it last season with 49, and they've got an eight point gap. Uh, on second at the minute, which is Western United. Uh, so I think a win against either Perth away or Wellington home uh, should seal their second premiership. It's going to be a premiership with a relatively low uh, points total this season. And I think that just comes back to the inconsistency all clubs have faced. Uh, no sides have really been able to to sort of grow and develop and improve. There's always been sort of something that's uh, that's sort of ripped the fixture rug from out, uh, out from underneath them. So yeah, I think City will lock it up with a relatively low uh, points total this season. It's going to test the medal of some of these clubs uh, especially when you know a club like city has got uh, 
a, um, a Asian Champions League matches to, to come in, in uh, Thailand and, and big expectations around that too. We'll have a look at the... I really think there's only two other clubs that could possibly take the plate from City. The first of those is Western United, who have played 21 for 38 points. Uh, they... Probably do need to rattle off uh, wins in their last five matches, though. They have, oh, they can start that run with uh, Western United and MacArthur, uh, who they host in the next seven days. Uh, there's probably a reason why they have been under the radar, and that's been their sort of uh, relatively low goals tally. They've scored 28 goals. That puts them equal eighth for goals four, uh, so well down the table. But as you'd expect, they've conceded uh, just the 26, which is the second at least. And Melbourne Victory have played 21 and find themselves another three points back on 35. Their inconsistent season really has been summed up in the past week. Blitzed City 3-0 to open the door for themselves, but then followed up with a nil-all draw at home to Brisbane. Adelaide, 23 played, 34 points, so they... They have played two points extra on uh, two games extra rather on victory and Western United. There's still a good chance for a home final after two wins in the past week. One uh, nil against MacArthur and three two against Sydney FC. All four of those goals either scored or set up by Craig Goodwin, who truly is just an outstanding player at this level uh, and looks a pretty good thing for at least a podium finish in the Johnny Warren Medal. He's gone past uh, Bruce Jitte Rob for the most goals scored for Adelaide United. He's now broken Bruce's record of 35. Sits on 37. And their final three games are all at home, Perth uh, against Perth, Brisbane and Western United. So uh, a word on Craig Goodwin, who's really coming good at the right time, if he wasn't already. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And certainly a player that uh, hopefully Graham Arnold is uh, is watching, given uh, you know the, 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 the talent and ability that he has uh, coming up to the, the qualifications. So now Craig Goodwin has been a, a real uh, stalwart of, of the A-League for a long time now and plenty of his career to go. So uh, well done him. Yeah, he scored his maiden uh, Socceroos goal, which was very well-deserved at Amy Park against Vietnam. Such a shame that he was then ruled out for the uh, the really important window against Japan and Saudi Arabia with uh, with COVID, I think it was. So, uh, yeah, hopefully still uh, a, a late career uh, run in the Socceroos for Craig Goodwin to come. Wellington, they have also been under the radar. 21 played for 33 points, and they could well go past Adelaide considering they've got games in New Zealand to come. They're going to be uh, brilliant, uh, brilliant affairs, hopefully. They've got the Mariners and Western Sydney in Auckland and Wellington. Uh, win those and they could, yeah, return for a third match in a final. And from there, uh, a home final in New Zealand, uh, you just never know. Sydney FC, however, they're in sixth and they're really stuck in the mud now. They've played 24 uh, for 31 points and they've had that goal difference wipe that they uh, that they racked up against Central Coast last weekend with that 5-0 win. Uh, the decision really to go one season longer with this aging squad, Wilkinson, Bobo, Lafondra, Ninkovic, Barbarousas, Grant. I mean, they've all performed at times individually. They're all still good, but yeah, to, to back them all in at once, it's probably just gone on a season too long. So they'll be looking out of the Champions League uh, for one final hurrah for this group, Rob. Yeah, well, you'd think that, um, you know, with the Champions League that those guys, uh, you know, will be able to perform in cup time matches. But uh, uh, yeah, you pointed out, um, it, it's just that fine line, isn't it? How far do you go with, with an aging squad uh, uh, who've been brilliant for, for so, so long. And I guess Steve Corrick has got uh, uh, some points in the bank after the success uh, Sydney FC have had over the last several years. So, uh, so you know, no no massive uh, criticism of him who, who, who would uh, point the finger when uh, when they've done so much. And um, and if he had have, uh, got rid of, of players of that ilk uh, uh, too soon, then he would have been criticised. So, uh, so you know, that, they'll rebuild quickly. Sydney FC won't be... Uh, 
at the bottom end of the six or, or miss the finals for, for two seasons in a row. MacArthur sit seventh, 21, played and with 29 points. Uh, they've really slid off the face of the earth, uh, having won just two of their last nine, especially considering they were right up at the top echelon on the table uh, when they won four of their first six. Uh, they got home games to come against the Wanderers, Brisbane, Jets, and victory. So that good run of home fixtures certainly puts them in contention. So I expect Sydney to slide out. That puts at least one place there in the finals up for grabs. So it could be MacArthur. It also could be Central Coast, who have played 21 for 27 points. So they're two points behind MacArthur, but they do have, uh, they've got the impetus behind them, really. Uh, they got done 5 0 against Sydney FC. That could have been the end of things. Uh, but to claw back a point against Western Sydney Wanderers away, when they were a man down and two goals down, uh, it was only a point, but you can see that the lift that really gave the group uh, under Nick Montgomery. So they do have to travel to Wellington uh, and they've got two F3 derbies. So it could go either way for them. But yeah, I think there's really something brewing there. Uh, and then the ninth team who could make it a bit of a wild card, uh, the Jets. Uh, they've played 20 and they're on 25 points. So... With games in hand, they could make it. But I think at this point of the season, Rob, you want to have points on the board. Uh, and those two F3 derbies between the Mariners and the Jets uh, are going to make or break the season for both of them, really. They could uh, they could nullify each other and neither of them make it. So there'll be, uh, there'll be must-watch fixtures uh, in the lead-in. Yeah, they sure will be. And uh, and, and two teams which, uh, you know, after the, the rebuilds they've had and, and the battling season that they had this year, uh, it'd be nice to see both of them make the finals, but it doesn't look like that both of them can. So uh, it, uh, it'll be fascinating to watch when uh, the, the pointy end comes over the, the course of the next couple of weeks. Might have just been a season too early for the Jets. Arthur Pappas, obviously, everyone likes uh, likes what he's doing there. He's got his front line sorted with a couple of brilliant, uh, with four really, really good imports who just haven't quite had the consistency, haven't quite clicked. Uh, but the defence has been leaky at times, so maybe that's something to patch up over the offseason. Yeah. And as uh, for a quick word on the other three clubs, Brisbane are just way too far back. Just feels like they never got started. They they played sort of one or two matches when other teams were up on six or seven, so they really just had a line through them from the start. The Wanderers. Insipid, really. Um, as I said, they were on the receiving end of that brilliant Central Coast result. Not quite sure what Mark Ridden's done to deserve a contract extension. Not sure what he's actually... Uh, not a contract extension, uh, a full-time contract off the back of uh, coming in as the interim boss when Robinson went out. Uh, and then the glory. They've got all sorts of issues. They've got a bit of a, uh, a fan battle on their hands. Um Tony Sage is on Twitter and on Instagram firing back, so they've got a lot of things to sort out, Rob. So that's where uh, that's where it stands. Okay, well, well done uh, for anyone who was confused. Uh, hopefully, we've uh, we've cleared that up all for you. Okay, stick around after the break. Max Rushton on Box to Box. We're going to talk Europe. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is box to box. It's been a massive week in Europe with stories all over the place. We're going to talk Champions League. But before we do, we uh, welcome uh, the host of one of our favourite football podcasts, The Guardian Football Weekly. He's also the host of the Stan Champions League coverage, Max Rushton. And Max, you've had a busy day already today and you've been called up to the Qantas flight. So uh, uh, as podcasts go, this is going to be one of the more uh, uh, unusual uh, chats as you sit uh, in uh, Row two uh, A of uh, of the Qantas seven four seven. two A I wish. I'm in ten E. I'm in the middle seat, so I'm going to be the polite and quiet. I hope you can. I hope you can hear me. Uh, and yeah, I got moved forward to the nine a.m. And they, basically, what I've done is I've let down your show massively for my own interest of getting home to see my 
uh, wife and four-week-old baby. I hope you forgive me. I realise my priorities are completely wrong and I should have stayed in Sydney and I should have refused the opportunity to get home sooner after three nights away. Apparently, Mrs. Rushman says three nights away with a four-week-old baby is not fair on her and she's probably right. But uh, I hope you forgive me. What a uh, an incredible uh, week it's been. Let's talk Champions League to get going. Uh, um, the the uh, the Champions League matches to get started, and then an incredible morning of, of Europa League matches today. Yeah, I mean the, the the best bit was probably it's hard to say, right? The Real Madrid Chelsea game. It feels like weeks ago now, but that was extraordinary because Real Madrid had been so good in the first leg. Karen Benzema, brilliant. Those two headers are, are two of the greatest headers you'll ever see. And be at the burn about three one up going into the second leg. You're pretty much sure the game was done. And then Chelsea actually were brilliant. And they were patient and they played well. Mason Mount scored an early goal and then they they made it two nil. You think, okay, this is only going one way and Timo Werner, who's had a it's a hilarious footballer who misses so many chances, he finally scored and you thought, Wow, this is extraordinary. And for Real Madrid to to get back into that game with that assist from Luka Modric. I mean I think the outside of his right foot is one of the greatest parts of a footballer's body that, that has ever been, right? And it was a wonderful assist. And, Manchester, and, and Real Madrid find a way, right, with these three old men in midfield, Modric, Cruz and Casemiro. It's extraordinary. Um, and Villarreal to get through on that night as well was such an amazing achievement. It's been mentioned loads of times, right? It's a tiny town, 50,000 people. Half, half the town go to the games, right? That's bad when you think about it. You know, you think half of London went to a stadium. Six million people there, or whatever. You know, there's 25,000 stadium. The rest of the town outside celebrating. And then to get past Juventus and then Bayern Munich was astonishing. And then we go forward to probably the most entertaining part of the entire thing. It's the last 10 minutes of Atletico Madrid versus Manchester City. Felipe, the Atletico Madrid defender, he goes over the line. He kicks Phil Foden. Phil Foden rolls off the pitch. Realizes it's smart as he rolls onto the pitch. So he rolls onto the pitch. Savage is furious. There's this melee. You know, it's not a great example for the kids, but also it's incredibly entertaining, right? You just can't take your eyes off it. And uh, it was a peak Atletico Madrid. I think Manchester City would be delighted to win a football match like that because that was a war rather than a football match. And they got through it and they'll be delighted in the dressing room. And Liverpool were basically through after the first leg. They do 2-3 with Benfica, but uh, that's a great run from Benfica to get there. But now we have Liverpool-Villarreal. And Real Madrid versus Manchester City, and uh, uh, yeah, it's been a really good Champions League this season. Yeah, it absolutely has been, and uh, you know, Manchester City at one point, as you say, in that Atletico uh, second t- tie looked uh, like they were they were really on the ropes, and uh, and and that comeback. Uh, uh, well, at least uh, their ability to hold their nerve and, mm. and win that tie and get through, uh, but uh, it's it's going to be an epic. Uh, um, series of semi-finals um, coming up at, at the back end of, of April and May. But this Europa uh, morning that we've just seen this morning, West Ham winning Rangers, uh, incredible. Eintracht Frankfurt. Eintracht Frankfurt winning in the new Camp is amazing, right? To, to go there, I think 30,000 fans, they bought tickets off Barcelona members who were just like, okay, we'll probably get through, we'll worry about the semi-final. That is such a result for Eintracht Frankfurt. West Ham not been in a European semi-final since 1976. For them to get through as well against Leon is brilliant. West Ham probably got more money than Leon, right? But Leon are a good team and good players. They were one-one at home, so I think that was a really, I mean, it's a brilliant performance for West Ham. And the Europa League is kind of a bit sniffed at at the start of each season. You know, who wants to play on a Thursday night? But when it happens for teams who don't often get to this stage of the competition, you know, 
it is really super Rangers as well, right? Getting to an extra time, you could have a Rangers West Ham final, which would be amazing. I wouldn't necessarily like to be a, a policeman on that <laughs> on that night in Seville, I would, uh, but it will be. Uh, uh, semi-finals they're, they're beautifully set up aren't they and then the conference league the first year of the conference league you've got big sides you know Leicester RB Leipzig in the semi-final as well that's a that's a fascinating time I think we've been really uh, look I would just I wouldn't I would say it anyway because I'm contractually obliged to say it we've been really lucky with these European competitions since game one when Bayern Munich beat, beat Barcelona or the death in Barcelona we've had some amazing games and now the Europa League it's not the same quality but it's the same entertainment. It's been a brilliant morning of football. And it's, you know, having just moved to Australia, it's worth getting out of bed at half four in the morning or for me, three in the morning because it takes me an hour to wake up, have a smoothie and a black coffee before I go on air. Max, just going back to the Champions League and Villarreal, what is this going to do for the reputation of Unai Emery? He's a guy who's done the business in the second tier European competition, a four-time winner uh, of the Europa League. But when he's pushed to those really high levels, PSG, Arsenal, it hasn't quite worked for him and he's been sort of criticised, but he's clearly got some uh, some magic in European knockout competitions. And yeah, to, yeah, uh, to be in the last four of the Champions League, what does this do for his reputation globally? I think huge. I think it's huge. I think, I think what it shows is it doesn't work at some clubs. It doesn't mean you're a bad manager. It doesn't mean you're necessarily brilliant if it works at some and not others. It's, you know, you have, to, you have to be the right fit at the right time and time is everything. But he's got these players, you know, lots of players who've played in the Premier League but haven't necessarily shone there. La Celso, Juan Foy, Etienne, Pupu, Sergio, like some Tottenham reject. Um, and Dan Juno, who both are born with, right? And he's turned them into a really lovely football team. They've always got Gerard Moreno, who's a wonderful player. But he's been technically brilliant. And, and, and you know, they, they should have won that home game against Bayern Munich much more comfortably. They didn't. Everyone thought, well, we've seen this already. Bayern did it with Salzburg as well. They weren't great away and they smashed them at home. But they were better than Bayern Munich over both legs, right? And, and that's a real warning sign for Bayern Munich. You know, you can, ask, you, can, you can start looking too deep into it. Maybe they just didn't play well in two games. Maybe it means the Bundesliga is more we thought it was. But for Unai Emery, it's brilliant. And it's a, I think Arsenal fans, it, it doesn't mean it was wrong to get rid of him at Arsenal necessarily, but perhaps they didn't give him enough time. It just shows that he's a really, really smart manager because resources-wise, they have nothing compared to Juventus and Bayern Munich. So, like, that's a great achievement. I think we're taking off that. Okay, Max. Well, we'll, we'll let you go, mate. Um, there's always plenty to talk to you about, mate. You, you fly safely and and thanks for squeezing us in, mate. Um, hey, and, listen, uh, my, my apologies because, I, you know, I know what it's like when you're hosting a show and people suddenly go, ah, I can't do this. So I, uh, I, I, I my heartfelt apologies. Just get me on next week or whenever and I'll, I'll chat to you for a proper amount of time. An interesting one there, Willem, with with Max, but he's uh, he's an excellent uh, uh broadcaster and um, and host. I think we're really lucky to have him these days. If anyone uh, doesn't listen to the Guardian Football Weekly, then you know, get it into your podcast feed um, with him and, and Barry Glendening uh, as the hosts and uh, you know a, a, a roster of, of different uh, journos around the world. Um, there's just something about that show that that uh, uh, that just drips all of the good things about football and uh, and to get Max to jump on 
the uh, the line there and have a yarn uh, while he was about to fly out Willem. Uh, it was a bit of fun, a little different. Yeah, it was. And the good thing with Max is it's all good stuff. So if it's two minutes, four minutes, ten minutes, uh, it's going to be uh, it's good quality stuff. And he's a good fella as well, Max. I've, uh, I've met him around the uh, the offices of SEN when he's popped down to Melbourne. So, uh, no, a, a lovely fella. And um, the, the chat they had on this week's episode of the Guardian Football Weekly was particularly interesting around Manchester City and Liverpool and how those two clubs and their rivalry now sits at the apex of world football. And uh, if you haven't caught it, it's not too late because they go again on Saturday night, obviously, in the FA Cup. So it's still a relevant discussion. So uh, go and check that one out. Uh, post box to box. Yeah, absolutely it is. And before we go, we want to talk about our good friends at Chemist Warehouse because if you haven't had the flu immunisation yet, you need to get into Chemist Warehouse really soon. I was just watching Sky News this morning and uh, the the prediction is that this flu, coming flu season is going to be uh, a really, really tricky one. Uh, and, uh, you know, we can't express it more seriously enough. We have a bit of fun on the show, but uh, we, uh, we take these sorts of things very seriously. It's been a couple of years of COVID right now. And, uh, and many of us, uh, in fact, all of us have, have not been exposed to the, uh, the flu uh, over this period but, but. of time. So, yep, the expectation is it's going to come back. So don't let the flu ruin your plans this year. Get in early and help protect yourself with flu immunisation available at Chemist Warehouse. The quadrivalent vaccine helps protect against four strains of influenza. However, it can take several weeks to take full effect. Book your appointment now because it takes a community to build immunity. It's quick, convenient and affordable. Plus, you don't need to bring in a script. The prescription and administration are provided in store by a qualified health professional this year. The quadrivalent strain is $17.99 at Chemist Warehouse. Build immunity and book your flu immunisation today at chemistwarehouse.com.au slash flu. Willem, have you done it yet? I have, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, good boy. Flued up. Edge has and Derek has as well, and I have absolutely no doubt uh, that Damo has as well. All right, stick around after the break. Stoppage time. We're going to wrap up a few more uh, European topics uh, on the show to bring it home. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is box to box. This is stoppage time. There's plenty of time to get through the things we didn't get to. A couple of topics we would have liked to have had a conversation with Max about before he uh, had to fly off were uh, the FA Cup semi-finals, which are on this weekend. And uh, they're, they're just massive. I mean, we saw the the, the gripping two-all uh, Premier League match uh, on the weekend between Liverpool and Manchester City. But uh, Edge, they, they, they face off against each other at Wembley this weekend. Um, do you think this has a psychological impact on the way the rest of the Premier League will play out? Um, uh, are both clubs, uh, Pochettino, Klopp, capable of setting this aside as an individual match or, or does everything just have to be looked at in the context of, uh, of the Premier League season? I think it does, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, got to have a psychological impact. Um, uh, Liverpool uh, got away with a draw in uh, in Manchester. They would be happy with that, I, I would suggest. Uh, they were looking down the barrel at different times in the second half. So uh, it's an opportunity for them to, to get back on the front foot. Um, yeah, I, I think it absolutely has a psychological impact. If Manchester City was to defeat Liverpool um, in this uh, FA Cup final or vice versa, um, it does uh, throw, throw a bit of doubt over their capacity to um, to finish off the season with winning every match. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, a massive game. And don't forget the um, FA Cup still is um, uh, an extremely important fixture uh, especially, you know, when uh, teams are getting to the uh, pointy end, they want to win it uh, for obvious reasons. So, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's got a big impact. And uh, can Liverpool um, 
can Liverpool get the first goal, Rob? Well, look, I think it'll be interesting uh, from the point of view of uh, of not only what goes on on the ground, but uh, all of the drama. Willem, you're across this as well. That there's there's major disruptions in the travelling arrangements from from Manchester and Liverpool down to Wembley. There, there's uh, train line work going on, so so the FA have had to put on coaches. Uh, so the question for me is, what should be a heaving Wembley? Is it going to be one of those rare occasions you can actually walk up and buy a ticket? Uh, it might just be. I actually wasn't aware of that, Rob. But uh, yeah, look, the distance from Manchester and Liverpool, that's pretty much the, the sort of top of the country. Uh, not quite, but more or less. Uh, definitely the, the north. Uh, down to London, yeah, you might be able to buy a ticket and that wouldn't be uh, that wouldn't be too bad. Um, and the is, other is, semi-final... Well, course, is Rob saying yeah. that Liverpool don't have enough fans in London that they can't fill the stadium? I mean, really? Well, it's a big stadium. I'm just, I'm, I'm just suggesting that it might really? be a little easier to get a ticket this time around. Won't be so easy to get a, a ticket for Chelsea Crystal Palace to London clubs, uh, and Chelsea Rob have really sort of it's, it's gone awry for them uh, in terms of the uh, the league. So this presents as a chance to uh, stay relevant and for or to you know to win a trophy and make something of this season. Uh, and for Palace, of course, they lost the FA Cup final to Manchester United when Milo Jedinak was captain in about 2016, and what was a brilliant match. They had the chances to seal it that day, so uh, uh, a chance to right that wrong if you like. Yeah, absolutely, it'll be um, an amazing match. I mean, for poor old Chelsea, uh, you know, you got to feel sorry for them after this week where they almost uh, pulled out one of the uh, the most amazing results in the club's history against Real Madrid, only for uh, for Karim Benzema to uh, and uh, of course. Of course, uh, the, uh, the result just went pear-shaped in the final few minutes. So th- this is one where they're going to be really looking to bounce back. But Crystal Palace, the kind of form they've been in recently under Patrick Vieira, I, I, I really back them in as underdogs to, to get a result here. And uh, with them coming to Australia for, for this uh, uh, series of matches with Manchester United and Melbourne victory, uh, w- what an incredible thing it would be is if, if, you know, not that I want them to, to beat Liverpool in the final if Liverpool happen to get there, but uh, it's a great story. So I, I hope they they do uh, they do well against Chelsea, and I hope they beat them. Edge, I know you always keep an eye on the uh, the broadcast rights, particularly uh, in uh, well in Australia, but in the uh, in the Premier League as well. And some interesting news this week. It seems like a bit of a uh, bit of a, a, an important moment, if you like. The clubs have been told that for the first time, foreign broadcast revenue is going to eclipse that of their local uh, broadcast revenue, and collectively, uh, it's going to break the ten billion pound barrier uh, for the first time over the next three years. Uh, the Times have said international revenues up thirty percent across, or will be up thirty percent. Uh, across the next three years, uh, new deals with the Nordic Entertainment Group from Sweden and uh, and an upping of the deal with NBC are going to really add to the pool there. Uh, and we speak often about how important it is not to be relegated from the Premier League and why clubs are happy to play some pretty ugly stuff uh, just to stay in the top 20. Uh, 20th place is going to earn £106 million. That's a fair old uh, reward for mediocrity. International broadcast rights market still has uh, a lot of growth in it for the Premier League because of um, um, the emergence of uh, new media players who need their content to uh, make their businesses viable uh, all around the world. Um, yeah, look, I'm not surprised at all. Um, obviously, um, spent a bit of time at the Premier League, so I understand um, how the international broadcast works, how the auction uh, is organised, and I'm not surprised that they continue to smash those... Uh, those uh, figures, and I think that'll continue to go the way uh, for at least uh, another three or four cycles, in my opinion. But um, 
Yeah, um, it, well, it's the biggest competition um, commercially, at least in the world now, um, the Premier League. So if you're in it um, and you finish last, yeah, you probably should get uh, your share of the coin. Um, but don't forget they have merit payments. Uh, international broadcast rights, Willem, were skewed towards um, giving a, a larger share to people who finish in the top 10, and especially the ones who finish in the top four. So uh, that was the deal uh, that Richard Scudamore did um, when the when in the last sort of year or two of his tenure at the Premier League when the big six were getting grumpy about um, uh, the little clubs getting uh, uh, an equal share of the local uh, UK and Ireland domestic broadcast rights. They wanted a bigger share of the international rights um, and uh, they were able to achieve that. So they're the the big winners out of it. Commercially in Australia, some good news for Football Australia this week as well. They've signed a seven-figure deal with Cupra, a a car and lifestyle brand from Spain to be the official automotive partner of the Socceroos and Matildas. It's only a short-term deal, runs until 2024. I think it's about an 18-month contract. But of course, it's doomsday doomsday prepping to an extent. Qualification for the 2018 World Cup uh, earned the federation a reported 12 million. So we could be about to miss the World Cup for the first time since 2002. So this is just going to grease the wheels and keep it running a little bit. Yeah, but just before you uh, move on from the car band Cupra, I just wanted to. Um, I know Rob loves his car. He drives a. I know he's got a, a Jaguar in the in the driveway uh, that he gets out cool. uh, on the weekends. I think he's got a uh, Mercedes that he gets around. Uh, during the day, yeah, that's, but, not, uh, that's the car down at my uh, my Hamptons holiday house. When I that's right, that's right. I know um, I know that he uh, likes to um, have the um, uh, the sports car, but um, does he know the models, the names of the models of the Cupra? Does he know the names of the models of the Cupra? And uh, um, come on, Rob, you've got to. Uh, Give yourself a bit of a, a bit of a Google search there, just to see whether they can come up quickly for you. Yeah, well, what else would you expect me to do? Um, there's, of course, the Bourne, the Fermenta, the Leon, the Leon Sports Tourer, the Ateca, the, the Fermenta. What about the Fermenta? Now, um, we we do enjoy um, passing commentary on uh, the talents of copywriters, but uh, the ad agency that uh, in Barcelona in Spain that came up with the Fermenta. I mean, mm-hmm. please. For mentor, it'll be interesting to see as I continue. Can you say that with a Spanish accent, Rob? For mentor. Yeah, for mentor. And, and is it Capra? You need a bit Cupra. of in there. Yeah. Is it Capra or Cupra? Uh, yeah, I think it'd be uh, it'd be Cupra. Yeah, but look, in, in all seriousness, no, Edge, I think this is uh, – we've been giving raps where they're – We have, you know, well done to the uh, the FFA commercial team to get in this side yeah. of the line, a new entrant coming into the market. It's a, it's a good one. I mean – And I, I remember years ago when, when Kia first took over from Ford as the Australian Open sponsor, and I still remember thinking, are you serious? The, the Korean brands have no credibility in – the international motor market. Um, they, they're, um, you know, one of the the most unreliable cars in the world. Fast forward all these years later, and in all seriousness, one of the cars that I do have is a Kia Carnival, the most reliable car uh, fitted out with everything you could possibly imagine. And uh, and it put that brand on the map in this country. So, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's visionary stuff from head office. And, uh, yeah, we criticise them you know, with good reason where they need to be criticised, but commercially they've had a lot of wins lately, haven't they? Well, you're doing okay from that point of view, so well done to the uh, Tom Rishpeth and the and the FFA commercial team. But um, it just reminded me of some of the great sponsors of the years gone by. I remember uh, my team, the Burgers, Heidelberg, uh, entered the National League with Colossus Oil emblazoned across the uh, the, the shirt. Robin, I do think Brunswick Juventus uh, one day... 
uh, I think one National League season. Uh, what's the great uh, Italian uh, Mediterranean wholesale uh, business out in Brunswick Road, Rob? What is it? Mediterranean. That's exactly what it's called. Uh, for those who are not in Melbourne, uh, one of the iconic uh, Italian stores in Melbourne on Sydney Road there is called Mediterranean Wholesalers. So, uh, well, I reckon the zebras yeah, had that emblazoned across their shirt, and I know they had a phone number on it too, but uh, I know that the <laughs> zebras supporters up in Sydney were a bit confused when they went to ring the number and it didn't work. <laughs> and who could forget uh, Gold Coast United under Clive Palmer? Not a, not a brand, but certainly a message when they wore freedom of speech uh, across the uh, the front of their shirt. When he had 16-year-old Mitch Nichols leading the team out as the captain with freedom of speech on the Gold Coast United jersey in front of a three-quarters empty Robina. Clive Palmer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's lot, plenty of story. He's yeah. sniffing around again. Well, what, he's got some more sports ownership at the moment. What well, uh, What's the story you're going to... Um, Tell us no, I was sort of hoping that that would prompt you guys to give me the rest of the details. I can't remember, but he's around again, Clive. Don't, uh, yeah, Clive's, uh, I don't really take too much notice of Clive, and I hope most of us, the rest of Australia does too. Um, a bit of news, a bit of news, Willem, about um, US soccer legend Hope Solo. Um, a bit disturbing, actually. She has been arrested uh, for driving while intoxicated and resisting arrest all while her two children were in the car solo. Uh, obviously, two times Olympic gold medalist and uh, a World Cup winner. Also had been previously arrested for domestic violence, uh, berating a police officer and beating up on her teenage nephew. I hope she's getting some help and not facing her problems alone because that's uh, it's pretty sad. Yeah, it is, Willem, Edge, isn't it? It's, um, you know, for, for someone who... Uh you know, he's got just such a storied um, career to be um, to be arrested under these sorts of circumstances. You see so many players, uh, um, you know, who um, who aren't able to to cope with life after their sporting career ends. But this is, uh, you know, this is just a real train wreck. Um, and you know that that sort of catalogue of of offences that she's had since well back in 2014 when that domestic assault file was charged. Um, you just as you say, hope uh, she's getting the kind of help she needs. And um, just while we're talking about America, Cindy Parlo-Cohn, uh, the returned US soccer president, outlined her priorities uh, for her next term, which were uniting the game's family of stakeholders after the bitter election campaign with Carlos Cordero, which was fought along pretty much gender lines, which um, is uh, quite disappointing that that would be the case. It got very, very nasty. But her, um, she said that uh, that's the top priority. Uh, 2026 FIFA World Cup, they want to deliver the best World Cup ever. Obviously, um, uh, the lion's share of that... Uh, Mexico, Canada, US World Cup will be in America. Uh, they're going through a process to, to select who will get the finals. Uh, we should know that in uh, in the coming um, coming weeks and months. Um, men's and women's CBA delivering on equal pay and funding for the game. They've got an outline of an agreement that they reached with um, with both sets of players' unions, but now they've got to do the detail, and it relies on the men, uh, like here in Australia, uh, foregoing some future revenue to balance the the books and uh, ensure that equal pay is seen through. And the women's and a women's open Cup, um, which is a relevant thing for Australia. Um, they're going to launch uh, a Women's Open Cup alongside the National Women's Soccer League, so allow the second-tier teams, the teams in the Women's Premier Soccer League, to compete uh, in an Open Cup. So I think that's a good development for women's football, and that's a priority. So well done, Cindy. Good luck to you, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. The only last thing I have, Rob, is that the Premier League have approved five substitutes for matches in 2022 and 2023. So Premier Club Premier League clubs voted in favour of reintroducing the use of five substitutes per game from the start of next season. However, they can only be made through three uh, dedicated substitution times during the game and not at half-time. So, in other words, if you want to use all five, you've got to make a double substitution at least twice. 
Yeah, like a few. Well, what do you think about making the rules up as you go? You know, for these sort of competitions, I'm not. I'm, oh, not, look, I'm not keen on it. Yeah, look, Edge, I, I, you know, concede my footballing uh, knowledge and you know technical knowledge is uh, is is not in in your league. You know, I'm. I'm an enthusiastic and passionate fan is how I describe myself. So I, I would just comment from that point of view and suggest that, that you know, over the past few years, there's been a lot of bad stuff happen throughout the course of COVID. But, uh, but there's been a few good things that have come out of it that will, you know, will carry um, us into the future, you know, not just in football, obviously, with lots of other things that, are, that have occurred. And, um, and, and that, that five substitution um uh, rule that came in when when there were so many uh, uh, COVID positive tests happening um, seemed to be a positive one. So you know, I, I I take your point about making up the rules as they go along. But if if it's a good rule and it's worked and 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 it's helped um, to um, to uh, uh, provide a, a more you know entertaining game on on the park and you know opportunities for for more players to at least get a few minutes that uh, that would otherwise sit on the bench. I can't really object to it. Yeah, I think it's FIFA's job to make the rules and uh, the leagues need to enforce them. You know, it just for me, it opens up a whole heap of questions. You know, those those bigger clubs with more money and deeper resources and better squads will benefit. So, um, yeah, I, I just like the old-fashioned uh, uh, three subs uh, per game and I, very much. I, I prefer three as well because I think that gives a, a more tactical element uh, in the it manager's does. hands as well. If you've only got three, you've really got to think and it's think about who you bring life. on and when you bring them on, whereas five, it's a little bit sort of, you know, clear the decks and it becomes a bit bit all over the shop. Now, I know I was late, and I did listen to your segment three there for a little bit. You missed a couple of things, Willem, so I just want to say congratulations to Harry Sutar, who won the Dylan Tombides medal, uh, which is a very prestigious medal within uh, the sort of elite uh, football unit at Football Australia. So well done to him, and um, he's on a fast-track recovery. Let's hope he, uh, should we qualify for the World Cup, is going to be in contention for the squad. Um, and also, Caitlin Ford played back in Townsville, played her 100th game for the Matildas, and we should acknowledge that. Uh, and um, and uh, she's been a fantastic servant for uh, Australian women's football. And uh, Caitlin's a sort of player that makes a lot of her teammates look good. She very good getting down the line and uh, creating opportunities and being the uh, the feeder of uh, of all the, a lot of those goals that Sam Kerr has scored over the years. So Caitlin Ford, one hundred games for the Matildas. You're a star. And if I could just we, add sorry, a couple more things, Rob. The Clive Palmer side was the uh, the Southport Tigers in the Gold Coast Rugby League, and I think I said it was Mitch Nichols. It was the captain. It was Mitch Cooper. I just want to clear that up. But Michael, the one I wanted to ask you about on air, and I left it out of uh, I left it out of news too because I wanted to ask you about it. Was of course the move of Molina Reyes to uh, to was it Iceland or was it Breedablick? I don't have it in front of me. Um, yeah, but that's gone. been a long time in the make a long time in the making, and, and very well deserved. So it's a it's a big week for. Uh, for you and Melina and for her family as well. Yeah, it is. So Melina um, uh, going on loan uh, for the, uh, the football season in Iceland. Uh, Breda Blick, is the, they're the Iceland champions. They play in the uh, European Women's Champions League qualifiers. They, they've played in every edition of the European Women's Champions League, so they're the heavyweights of Iceland football. So basically in the Norwegian or the Scandinavian League, Sweden is the best one, uh, and then Denmark, Iceland and Norway uh uh, sort of all on a bit of a level pegging just behind that. So a lot of Australians go there because it's a fantastic um, calendar fit with uh, the A-League women's uh, competition at the moment. So there's quite a few Australians, uh, you know, the upper uh, echelon of the A-League women's uh, uh, program are finding uh, great contracts in those clubs. And, and they are very well-organised clubs and, uh, and uh, you know, the 
the, the training, the coaching, the facilities, um, uh, the remuneration and all those things is, I've got to say, uh, a good sort of 30 or 40% better than uh, what's here in Australia. So uh, for all those women, not just Melina, but for all those women that are getting an opportunity, it helps them uh, create a full-time career out of their sport. Um, and, you know, we're all waiting with uh, bated breath to see what new developments the um, APL is going to come up with for the Women's League next year, whether that's an expanded competition with new teams or maybe an expanded competition with a home, full home and away format. Uh, let's see um, how that develops. But, yeah, so Melina Rears off to Iceland in Bredewick. She told me she likes the cold weather, and when she got there, she said to me, maybe not the cold. <laughs> well, I mean, we all watched um, Iceland's incredible performance in the Euros a few years back and uh, and and learned a lot more about uh, Icelandic football culture during that period of time and there was one thing that that, that I, I remember um, reading a, an article about their indoor stadiums and their indoor facilities because of the cold so uh, unlike some other countries that sort of borderline waterlogged pitches don't have the money to to uh, uh, to set up their facilities to to uh, overcome the the climate in in their country that Iceland is one place where at least you will be able to get to play uh, by the sound of it, and uh, regardless of how cold it is, um, whether it's indoor, outdoor, she's going to at least be able to put lace on her boots. And uh, well, yeah, all the clubs have indoor training facilities for obvious reasons, and uh, they have uh, grass and synthetic pitches that they play their matches on. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a full-time professional environment. So um, yeah, she's um, she's enjoying the experience, and hopefully, she scores a few goals. And who knows, uh, she may get an opportunity to be uh, uh, in a Matilda's uh, camp soon, and uh, that's what she's shooting for. Well, if her form at the back end of the season after she came back from injury is anything to go by, uh, uh, Tony Gustafsson could do a lot worse than to, to give her a call up. Um, we need uh, uh, some support for Sam Kerr and uh, and the, the rest of the uh, the Matilda squad. So uh, good luck to to Melina um, and uh, and her career uh, as it uh, grows in Europe. All right, Edge. Well, let's wrap it up there. Um, happy Easter, mate. I hope you uh, enjoy the Easter break with the family and. Uh, Get some nice uh, chalky eggs and don't be too indulgent. Hot, hot cross buns, Rob, um, under the griller and uh, griller or toaster. I think griller is better. And uh, some of that nice Western star butter just melting. Um, mm. That's a bit of a tradition in our house. Mm. Uh, a bit of an Easter egg hunt maybe on Sunday if the dog doesn't eat all of them. Not too much chocolate for your dog, Rob. You've got to remember that. Well, I haven't got a dog, but I do take that point. <laughs> but uh, no, I love the Western Star on a on a hot cross bun. It's absolutely delicious. Well, well done, Willem. You have a good Easter too. And and Damo, uh, Buona Pasqua um, in um, the great Italian tradition. And uh, um, and thanks again. What's the Easter? Listening. What's the Easter cake you guys have, Damo? Uh, I Damo. don't think Damo's on mic, but it's a Pandoro. It's uh, a so Pandoro. You saved yeah, him, Rob. He was exactly. he was he was he was scratching his head there. The Pandoro. <laughs> Yeah, so there's uh, the panettone is a, is a Christmas kind of uh, cake, but the pandoro is a beautiful, uh, soft, fluffy. One of those new household, Rob? Uh, yes, there is, ready to go, mate, uh, from my good friends uh, at Hamperwell, who, uh, who I was after <laughs> one during the week, so uh, very nice. It's uh, funny, Willem, uh, we, now that we, uh, I'm, I'm in the studio with Damo, but Rob's recording from the uh, the fourth wing of his Turek mansion, but I know you're at home too, but we, we just... We just don't get any of that hamper stuff anymore when uh, we walk into the studio and Rob's not here. 
I mean, what's well, going on? Edge, as we look, we, we'll give a little teaser. We're expecting some um, some interesting news for our listeners uh, in the next uh, few weeks, month or so. So, as we do, uh, maybe some of that will change. Um, oh, let's the, hope so. That's very the good. The box, the box. Have a great Easter, listeners all around the world. You've been listening to Box the Box. Rob Gilbert Willem did a fantastic job as I was uh, uh, held up uh, coming into the studio. So, um, I hope everyone has a wonderful Easter wherever you are on this uh, fantastic uh, place in the universe called Earth. <laughs> well done what a what a fulsome uh, rap it was edge and uh, i can go and make sure you subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcast follow us on twitter and like us on facebook and join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game